Hi everyone, welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis, spring break edition for myself, and you guys know why you're here. You're here because you want a recap about what happened on Friday in Miami in round of 64 action. But before we get to that, I would like to say, as always, thank you for finding this podcast. Thank you for listening to it as well. And if you make it all the way to the end, I'm going to thank you again for doing that. Um, Thanks for downloading, and thanks for listening from wherever you are in space and time. Let's get right down into topic one. Today we're going to start with the men, because frankly they were less interesting. So topic one, men's score read and any commentary I may have on a particular match. Round of 64 action. The wild card Taro Daniel beat number 13 seed Alexander Zverev, 6-love, six 6-4. Six Couple things on this. Number one, it was an incorrect decision by the Miami Open to put Zverev on as a featured night match for two reasons. Number one, he's coming back from injury and it is not guaranteed that a match he plays is going to be intriguing. And two, his off-court domestic violence allegations, which continue to hang over him, whether they've been officially cleared or not, which they have been by the ATP, just not a good look. There are plenty of other matches that could have gone there. Alcaraz could have gone in that slot. He probably preferred that day session, though. Casper Ruud could have gone in that spot even if he had requested playing in the day. It's not up to the players, you know. The tournament has the final say here. They felt, if they felt that Alexander Zverev and Taro Daniel was the best draw there, maybe they need to re-examine their scheduling procedures, and maybe they need to, like, watch tennis a little more. Um, yeah, the score here, a bagel in the first set for Daniel. That doesn't necessarily surprise me because of how we've seen Zverev operate recently. When I've watched him earlier this year, he hasn't necessarily looked confident in his game. And, you know, if he's getting blown out by a player that's playing well, like I suppose Taro Daniel was, you might expect to see a bagel. On the other hand, bagels are not update-worthy. And by update-worthy, I mean lots of times when a notable player loses a bagel set, tennis Twitter or tennis text people or broadcasters will feel compelled to A, report that fact, and B, obsess over it, and C, extrapolate the result of that set into future sets. Just because you lose a set six love does not mean that you're going to lose 6-love, six 6-love. Six it doesn't mean that you're going to lose, period. It doesn't mean that the second set is going to be a blowout. Oftentimes, we see a player lose a set, and then the second, or they lose a set 6-love, and we see the second set become much closer. Because if you're the player that won the bagel set, if it's one all in the next set, you've already regressed. And you start thinking about that, and, you know, when you get into a 2-2, 3-3, 4-4 situation, 
you're thinking, oh my god, I bageled this guy, and now I might lose a set, or, oh my god, I bageled this guy, and now I'm in a competitive set against him, and fans are often surprised, oh my gosh, can you believe this? They have similar thoughts. Guys, it's not that remarkable. Sets are competitive all the time. The six love set was the anomaly set. The other sets, if you lose six love, six four, the second set is more representative of what is going on, most likely. If you lose a match six three, six love, seven five, the bagel set was the outlier, and that's typically the way it goes unless you're peak Igish Fiantek and you serve bagels out in a routine fashion. So Zverev's gone, and uh, no tears are shed in this corner. Number one, Carlos Alcaraz defeated Facundo Bagnus, 6-love, six 6-2. Six There's another bagel set for you. This scoreline is not that typical for Alcaraz. I mean, he wins easily a lot, but dropping only two games, he is playing very, very, very well right now. I think it was more Gatto on Twitter said it was one of the most boring matches Alcaraz has ever played. And if you want to be a GOAT-level guy, if you want to be a superstar, superstardom, dominating, cross-sport, appeal, Hall of Famer type guy, you win matches on a Friday afternoon by this scoreline. Number three, Casper Ruud. Got a much-needed win over Ilya Ivashka, 6-2, 6-3. That's a good win. Ivashka is good. And yes, Rude has made the finals here last year, so maybe he's going through a, a case of good vibes syndrome at the moment, or he will as the week goes on. But still, Ivashka is good, and given Rude's form recently, that is a good win, I would say. Let's stop to look at that. So Rude had a breakout 2022, as you know. Miami final, Roland Garros final, U.S. Open final. That is a lot of points. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of wins. This year, he has a losing record coming into today. United Cup split matches. That doesn't really count. In real tournaments, Auckland lost first round. Australian Open lost second round. Acapulco lost second round. Indian Wells lost second round. He's not doing that well. So what's that? That's a record of 0 and 2, 1 and 2, 1 and 2, 2 and 3, 3 and 4. He was 3 and 4 in real tournaments coming into this one, and now he improves to 4 and 4. So he's won 5 matches total this year. And at the 2022 U.S. Open, he won six matches. So it's been tough going for Casper Ruud. He is one of those guys that did not have an offseason. And he is one of those guys that scheduled himself poorly. He played in November and December straight through for money to get bank, which is fine. Except now in his actual professional career that counts, he has not done very well. We will see if today is just a one-off and... We'll, we'll see if today is just a stepping stone to another second-round exit in two days' time, 
or we'll see if this is the start of a defense of a boatload of points for Mr. Rude. Andre Rublev beat JJ Wolf 7-6-6-4. Rublev is the number six seed. Number seven seed, Holger Rune beat Marton Fucevic 6-3-7-5. Number nine, Taylor Fritz beat the wild card Emilio Nava 6-4-6-1. Number 10, Yannick Sinner beat Laszlo Jerry 6-4-6-2. Number 16, Tommy Paul came from a set down to beat Mark Andrea Hussler, 5-7-6-3-6-4. Number 20, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina beat Brandon Nakashima, 6-4-7-6. Number 21, Grigor Dimitrov beat the qualifier, Jan Leonard Struff, coming back from a set and a tie breakdown, 4-6-7-6-6-4. The second set tiebreak was 7-5, so... Dimitrov would have been two points or three points, depending on how that shook out, away from losing there, and he came back to get the win. Emil Rusuvori beat number 22 seed Roberto Bautista Agut, 6-4-7-6. You fear that Bautista Agut's best days are behind him, as I've said previously. Number 24 seed Denis Shapovalov beat... Uh, Guido Pea, 6-3, That's a good win for Dennis. Any win is a good win for him right now. Number 26, Botic van de Zand Schulp beat Alexi Poprin, again from a set and a tie breakdown, 4-6, 7-6, Number 29, Miamir Kekmanovic beat Ugo Umber, 6-4, 6-7, 7-6. Dusan Lajevic defeated number 30, Maxime Cressy, 6-4-7-6. I'm not, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to retire the Maxime Cressy greatest player in the world joke, since he is obviously not, and there's nothing else really worth discussing about him at the moment. Number 31, Diego Schwartzman got a win over Yibang Wu, 7-6-6-1, much like Shapovalov. Any win is a good win for Schwartzman right now. That's a good win. Good on him. And those are your men's results for today. Nothing too intriguing, honestly. If you didn't see it, you didn't miss anything today. Topic two, men's draw analysis. Taking a look at the... I'm going to focus on the top half of the draw here because the bottom half of the draw has not played the second round yet, so all the seeds and chalk are still intact there. Looking at the top half of the men's draw, um, all four major pieces of chalk are there. Number one, Alcaraz. Number seven, Runa. They're still in their quarter. Number three, Rude. Number six, Rublev are still in their quarter. And I'm looking here, and one, two... Three, only three seeds lost today. So on the men's side, it is big time chalk. Topic three, um, the women's draw. Whereas the men's draw had a lot of chalk, the women's draw definitely did not have chalk. And 
you can definitely draw a comparison between the women's upsets today and the March Madness basketball upsets today. In March Madness men's basketball today, we had the number one seed Houston lose, and we had the number one seed Alabama lose, both in relatively routine... I don't want to say that. They lost by several possessions. The final score was not a one-possession or a two-possession game, so the result was not necessarily in doubt as the seconds ticked down. And that means that in the March Madness, for the first time ever, no one seed made the Elite Eight, or the the quarterfinals, the final eight. And that could portend a less exciting tournament. Hopefully not for them. Um, in tennis, with the women's results here, first let's let's cover the results. Okay, here here are the women's scores. Magdalena Freck beat Andriva 4-6-6-1-6-1. Just a note on that. Freck was a lucky loser. Very late came in. Let me look here. She was a replacement for... What was that? We did the bottom half today? Freck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Freck was a replacement for the number 26 seed Zhang, who must have withdrawn today. Um, and then Freck gets into the second round spot as a lucky loser, as opposed to the first round spot. And Freck gets the win, and now she gets round of 32 points. Just in case some of you guys don't know how that works, and I know at least one of you does not know how that works, so I'll go ahead and explain this. The draw is a 96 draw. If you include buys for the top 32 seeds, it's a 128 draw. Um, some of those spots in the draw are filled by qualifiers. Um, if you The qualifying tournament takes place a couple of days before the main draw starts. If a main draw player withdraws from the tournament after the draw has already been made, and that first round spot does not have a buy, or a walkover, I mean. In tennis, there are no opening round walkovers. So in a first round match at any tournament, if one player withdraws, that spot is filled by what they call a lucky loser, which is somebody that, la that lost in the last round of qualifying. If you lose in the last round of qualifying, it's financially and professionally a good idea to hang around the tournament for three or four days, because if a surprise spot in the draw opens up, it is literally a first-come, first-served system. If you're hanging around on site and you're eligible to be a lucky loser, um, you sign in at the tournament and then they, you know, they place you in the draw there. Um, and that also includes second-round matches that involve seeded players. Um, even though it's the second round of a tournament, if a player that has not begun the tournament yet withdraws from the tournament, that spot is eligible to be filled by a lucky loser, which is why a seeded player withdrew after getting a first-round bye. So the lucky loser hangs around an additional two days. In this case, Freck gets in the draw, and then by virtue of winning one match, she gets round of 32 points and prize money. 
Whereas if you were a lucky loser that was placed in the first round and you win one match and that's it, you got second round prize money. Hopefully, you're fo- hopefully you guys made sense of that. There will be a quiz. But past that, in the subsequent rounds of a tournament, there are no more lucky losers. If somebody withdraws, the match is canceled because everybody involved had previously participated in the tournament. For example, if in a semifinal match, if somebody withdraws, that spot is not filled by a lucky loser. That spot is um, forfeited, and the other person gets the prize money and, and points of that round and continues on. It's happened in Miami before, actually. At this point, maybe 10 years ago, I think both men's semis were walkovers or something like that. Maybe Kay Nishikori was involved. You know what? Let's go ahead and pull that up. Let's do the research. So in the Google search bar here, I'm going to type in the 2013. Maybe it was 2014. Let's check. Yeah, it was 2014. In the 2014 Sony Open, Novak um, Kay Nishikori gave the walkover to Novak Djokovic. Thomas Burdich gave the walkover to Rafa Nadal. So in the 2014 Miami, there were no semifinals because the players were injured in both of them. Anyway, Magdalena Freck is is a winner. Number Arena Sabalenka continued her good form. She beat Shelby Rogers, 6-4, 6-3. Number nine, Belinda Bencic beat former U.S. Open finalist Layla Fernandez, 6-1, 6-1. That's concerning for Fernandez. Number 15, Petra Kvitova beat Linda Noskova, 6-3, 6-love. Number 22 seed, Donna Vekic, my pick to win the whole shebang, even when Sviantek was still in the draw, beat Brengel, 4-6, 6-4, 6-3. For the second week in a row, Serana Cristea beat Caroline Garcia, the number 5 seed, 6-2, 6-3. Kennan upset the number 28 seed, Kalanina, 6-3, 6-4. Number 19, Keys beat Montgomery, 6-4, 6-4. Number 16, Krejcikova, Beat Sasnovich 6-3, 6-2. In an expected result, the qualifier Vavara Gracheva beat number four Anz Jabor 6-2, 6-2. We'll circle back and get these. Number 31, Buskova beat Blinkova 3-6, 6-4, 6-3. Vondrosheva beat number 11 Kudermatova 6-4, 6-4. Sorry, 6-4, 6-2. Kudermatova is in a similar tier to Kasatkina. Highly ranked, but never seems to win. And eventually, they will not be highly ranked any longer. In probably the match of the day here, Bianca Andreescu beat number 7 Maria Sakkari, 5-7-6-3-6-4, in just over three hours. For the second successive round that she played, Bianca Andreescu had the match of the day. I had her pegged in the preview pod of winning a couple matches here. I didn't have her winning the whole thing, but I had her doing well. And uh, there you go. Dare I say, that is not an upset. Number 18, Alexandrova beat Taylor Townsend. 6-3, 5-7, 6-4. 
Number seven, Pliskova beat Xinyu Wang, 6-2, 6-4. And Muhova beat number 32, Zhu Lin, 6-4, 6-2. I missed on that one. I think I had Zhu Lin making the semis, or I did have Zhu Lin making the semis. Oh, well, easy come, easy go, as they say. A um, couple of comparisons here. So I would call... So just to just to restate this, the number five seed lost, the number four seed lost, and the number seven seed lost. Um, and the number eight seed had lost previously. So, and the number one seed withdrew. So let, let's let's go through that real quick, actually. Um, so I'm gonna have to pull up the the women's draw to be able to do that. Let me take a look at my draw first. Um, this will transition us into topic four, my analysis of the women's draw. First, let's talk about the top seeds that are not here. The number one seed, Sviantek, withdrew with an injury, and she was not replaced. A number, another number one seed was not anointed. It was just removed. So the highest remaining seed is Sabalenka at two. Sabalenka is still in there at number two. Jessica Pagula is still in there at number three. Jabor went down. She's number four. Garcia went down. She's number five. Goff is still in there at six. Sakri is out there at seven. And Daria Kina, the eight seed, flamed out quick. So five of the top eight seeds are gone um, on Friday of the first week. And there's um, six plus two. There's eight days left in the women's tournament. And the top-line star power has already been severely diminished, which is actually kind of unusual for the WTA in the last couple of years, mostly because Sviantek's been there to keep headlining the top of draws. I should mention Rabakina is still in there. Rabakina can sort of inherit the number one spot in the draw with where she's placed, but still... Um, the number 10 seed, you know. I should also say, these seedings do not represent uh, the current rankings. Rabakina is seeded number 10, and that is because the draw was made before Indian Wells was complete. So the Miami draw is using the rankings that are pre-Indian Wells even, so it's two or three weeks old. Um, if the draw had been made a day or two later, she would have been a top eight seed and the draw complexion would have changed. I think it's definitely worth it to um, mention that. But what this does, it's created big open spots in the draw where unusual players are going to be making a big run and are going to be changing their season in the next eight days by winning a couple of matches. For example, if we look at the top quarter, one of these players, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one of these players is going to make the Miami semis. Lou, Trevisan, Ostapenko, Haddad Maya, Rabakina, Badosa, Mardich, or Mertens. If it's not Rabakina, it would be a pretty big surprise for anyone else to come out of there. In the second quarter, 
Pagula, Collins, Lynette, Azarenka, Samsonova, Zhang, Potapova, and Goff. That's actually a pretty strong quarter. I would bet that would be the strongest quarter remaining of the four. Um, several good players could come out of their third quarter. Andrescu, Kennan, Alexandrova, Bencic, Kvitova, Vekic, Freck, or Gracheva. Kvitova is always a threat. Vekic, even though Vekic is my pick, she's outside the top 20 in the seeds. And Andrescu, despite being a former Grand Slam winner, is not seeded. So on seeding number, the third quarter is also weak. In the fourth quarter, um, Kirstea, Muhova, Pliskova, Vondrosheva, Krejcikova, Keys, Buzkova, and Sabalenka. Again, Sabalenka would be the big anchor, but if not Sabalenka, it'd be pr- it'd be a pretty big surprise. With all due respect to the players there that have won Grand Slams and so on. Um, so I guess my point is. Especially if we have another big upset or two, things could get real wacky. I still think the the two or three top players, the two or three top, top mainstream players that are left can definitely headline the tournament and then clash in a week or so. But the matches in between then are going to be, you know, mainstream player versus not mainstream player. And then the outside court matches are going to be you know, obscure player versus obscure player, to the general public anyway. And if one or two of those other seeds get upset, a lot of those obscure versus obscure matchups are going to be headlining the end of the tournament. So this could be a rare example of the men holding to form or the men having a better tournament than the women, which has not been the norm in recent months and in recent years on the tennis tours. So that is what happened on Friday, March 24th. Now let's take a little look ahead to Saturday, March 25th. The the women will be playing the third round, the round of 32. The men will be finishing up the round of 64. And some of the male players will be making their tournament debuts tomorrow. Um, The seeded males tomorrow will be making their tournament debuts, so keep that in mind as I read off the names. Again, women, third round, men, second round. First up, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, across the courts, Stefanos Tsitsipas versus Richard Gasquet, Beatrice Adad Maya versus Yelena Ostapenko, Ludmila Samsonova versus Kinwin Zhang, Lorenzo Musetti versus Yuri Lehechka, Francisco Sarundolo versus Alexander Kovacevic. Borna Chorich versus Christopher Eubanks. The not before 1 p.m., the second wave of matches, Coco Goff versus Anastasia Potapova. That's going to be interesting. The crowd is going to be very behind Goff and very not against Potapova because Potapova got Russian brained, she got Putin brained. It's a shame. Also in the second wave, Felix Auger-Aliassime versus Tiago Montero, Victoria Azarenka versus Magda Lynette, Matteo Berrettini versus Mackenzie McDonald, Sebastian Baez versus Christian Guerin, Argentina versus Chile on court seven equals very boisterous crowd. 
Alex Damonar versus Kanton Hali. Yoshihito Nishioka versus Alex Molchan. Later on in the afternoon, Jessica Pagula versus Danielle Collins. That's a good center court match. That could be the match of the day. Hubert Hercotch versus Tanasi Kokonakis. Claire Liu versus Martina Trevisan. Daniel Evans versus Lorenzo Sinego. Happy hour matches about 5 o'clock Eastern. Francis Tiafo versus Yosuke Watanuki. Cameron Nori versus Gregoire Barrer. Karen Hatchinoff versus Thomas Martin Echeverry. Night matches. Unofficial night match. Ben Shelton versus Adrian Manorino. 7 o'clock on Grandstand. Petra Mardich versus Elise Mertens. 7 o'clock on Stadium. Daniil Medvedev versus Roberto Carbeas Baina. 8.30 p.m. 8.30 p.m. on Stadium. Elena Rybakina versus Paula Bedosa. One thing before we go, I want to look at the Pagula and Collins head-to-head. I want to see what their head-to-head is. So, let's take a look at that. Hopefully the WTA Tour will help me out and have it on their main page here. And they don't. Alright, so I'm going to have to type that in. And we are going to do that right now. Alright, so I need... Jessica Pagula. Let's go ahead and get that in there. And there's Jessica Pagula. And let's get in there Danielle Collins. Let's check out that head-to-head between the two American players. It's 3-0 for Pagula. Oh, wow. Spread out. 2012, 6162. 2016, 6463, 6436-75. I think I might have remembered that 2021 match. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I remember watching a lot of Pagula that, that, that month. So Collins has never beaten Pagula, and they've played three times. I will look on that with some interest. And that is going to be a wrap on today's show. We are moving into the weekend. The Miami Madness of the women's draw is going to give way to an interesting bracket the rest of the way. Again, if you've made it to the end of the pod, thank you very much. And we'll be back soon with another pod. And this podcast was courtesy of Argon Productions.